From Georgia Public Broadcasting, this is On Second Thought. I'm Virginia Prescott. Domestic violence and sexual assault are leading causes of injuries for young women and girls over the age of 15 in Georgia. That is according to the state's Department of Public Health. In fact, reports indicate that 30 percent of Georgia women in that age group will be abused at least once by their partners in their lifetimes. Michelle White is child and youth manager for the Georgia Coalition Against Domestic Violence. I spoke with her in May about how this impacts teens in their relationships and what falls under the term intimate partner violence. There's a lot of different components related to power and control in an intimate partnership when we think of intimate partner violence. One of the most common is recognizing physical violence in a relationship, but there's also verbal abuse, emotional abuse, um, digital abuse that's happening, especially with the increase in social media. Digital abuse meaning sexting and, or Have, bullying? Absolutely. That would fall under that. Having power and control over someone with using technology, say they're going through your emails, invading your privacy, excessive text messaging, things of that nature. Also, over 90% of people who experience intimate partner violence experience financial abuse. Mm. Again, that same narrative of having power and control over someone financially. You're preventing someone from going to work. You're stealing um, their resources. You're threatening them um, if they go to their job and things of that nature. So uh, really, when we think of intimate partner violence, it's one person having power and control over another person and trying to maintain that power and control. But teen dating violence is looked at as a separate category. So first Mm -hmm. of all, why and how is that defined? Sure. It's a lot to do with age. So with our young people, you know, I always like to tell folks, remember when you were a teenager and really think about when did you first start learning about relationships? biologically, chronologically, you don't have that much experience with dating. And so that's a lot, that's a big component with teen dating violence. It has to do with our young people. Um, you know, teens are really engaged in independence um, and sometimes less trustful of adults. So that's something that's included with that teen dating violence as well. It's also really difficult to tell if you're experiencing dating violence in that relationship because of those former components. Um, there's a lot of elements of stalking. Um, again, that did digital abuse component with social media usage that comes up for teens. A lot of controlling behaviors show up for teens as well in dating violence that sometimes is masked as romantic and protective. Um, Something we've seen a lot with teens is they'll have their partner say, well, I love you so much, so I don't think you should hang out with your friends. You should hang out Mm -hmm. with me. Or I love you so much. You know what? Let me go through your phone. Make sure that everything's okay. So there's this like protectiveness that sometimes is masked as actually power and control in a relationship. Mm-hmm. And mis- misread as affection. Or, Absolutely. Right. A few years ago, the organization Love is Respect ranked Georgia number one in the country for teen dating violence. This research is now considered outdated. Are, are, do you have any numbers on the problem today? It's about one in three. And of course, that's what is reported. And a really big barrier to teen dating violence is it's significantly underreported. A lot of teens are not sharing that they're experiencing dating violence or they're not sure that they're experiencing dating violence and therefore cannot report uh, what they don't know. Um, but what we've seen as of now, it's about one in three teens that do report that they're experiencing dating violence um, share that they are. Who are they likely to report to? Teachers, parents, what? Wouldn't that be great if it was teachers and parents? <laughs> well, <laughs> most, it, most likely it's their peers. 
their friends or probably their peer group is the number one folks. If they decide to share that they're in dating violence relationship, they talk to their friends about it. Mm-hmm. So, so I want to dig into what you were talking about. Like people may not understand that this is actually abuse. And Pew Research Center says roughly one third of American teens have been in some sort of relationship. As you said, these are formative relationships. But is it likely that a teen who would endure abuse might have suffered or witnessed abuse at home? In other words, it feels normal to them. Absolutely. There's definitely a component where if you've witnessed, um, if you've been exposed to intimate partner violence as a child, um, there's definitely a connection to you experiencing dating violence. And that's not for all folks, but you can definitely connect that to um, experiencing dating violence as you get older. Sometimes for teens, that's the norm. Right. They're learning about relationships in childhood. They may see violence in relationships and may think that's what relationships should be. Again, that's some teens, not all teens, but that's definitely a component of it. So they might not recognize this as abuse. Absolutely. And again, a lot of times what we're seeing, we're getting a lot better now, but a lot of times we see that physical violence is what is defined as violence in a relationship when really there's a lot of more subtle, um, less um, physical components to that. Again, we, we're talking about verbal abuse mental abuse, emotional abuse, psychological abuse, sexual abuse, right? We talk a lot about consent and what goes on between teens. Um, We're talking about sexting is another component of it, not having control over what's going on with your body, being exposed to things you don't want to be exposed to. All of that falls under the umbrella of dating violence. And are those prosecutable offenses? Sexting, for example? I believe so. I don't have the exact numbers on that, but I know that that's something um, that People who are under 18 are actually that that impacts um, legally what they're allowed to do. So what could be some warning signs for teens that they could be in an abusive relationship? Sure. One of the biggest things I like to give big, big picture ways of looking at it. If you notice you're not having freedom in your relationship, you notice you're feeling controlled or that you're not allowed to do something, right? It may start off as someone feeling like they're protecting you and loving you and taking care of you. But if you notice you actually don't have choices in your relationship, um, that you feel like you're walking on eggshells with your partner, that you feel if you say something or do something or wear a certain thing, hang out with a certain friend, you know that's going to upset your partner, even though you have the right to do that. Um, notice those signs and trust your gut. If you notice something's happening, our bodies rarely lie to us. Um, so notice in your body, you know, I don't think this is right. Um, and if you feel comfortable, talk to a trusted friend. Ideally, we would love our adults to be more informed on what dating violence is. Uh, I want to say over 80% of adults, when they hear about dating violence, um, they actually don't believe their teens um, when they say that something's going on in their relationship. Hmm. So I would love for our adults out there that are listening, when teens are explaining to you the concerns they're having in their relationship, try your best to listen and take their concerns seriously. So if they aren't speaking with you, as you said, maybe that's the ideal, a parent or a teacher would be informed. What might an adult or a parent be looking for? Sure. What an adult can see is if they notice that their child or their child friend, again, is not able to have that freedom in their relationship. Um, if they're being isolated, that's a huge component of dating violence and domestic violence, right? They're being removed from their friends. They notice they're, a lot of teens like to use the word ghosting mm-hmm. their friend. They're not able to be in their friend groups. They're not able to participate in extracurricular activities. They have to devote, and I use that word have to, right, to maintain that relationship and maybe that safety. They have to maintain their relationship with this person. 
partner. If you notice the other partner um, showing up in random places, like you said you were going to the movies, you put that on Twitter, all of a sudden your partner is there, right? Those are elements of stalking. Mm -hmm. Um, But you want to notice those behaviors and begin to have a conversation with teens about it. Like, hey, I, I noticed such and such. Did you notice that too? Really just trying whatever you can to open that conversation. It'll be up to that teen to disclose. But man, it makes it so much easier when adult notices those elements of dating violence and they can just begin that conversation. And you talked about parents and families modeling relationships, but portrayals of abusive relationships are prevalent in pop culture. We see that in the trailer for the Netflix series, You, starring Penn Badgley. I believe in love at first sight, but love is tricky. Is this Joseph? Can we get real for a second? You have questionable taste in friends. I'm going to help you get the life you deserve. I think I might really like him. You can't be serious. I'm not a maybe. I'm the one. There are scary people in the world, Beck. I'm on to you. Jealousy got the best of me. My guest is Michelle White, child and youth manager for the Georgia Coalition Against Domestic Violence. And we're talking about teen dating violence in Georgia. It is something that tends to go under the radar. So, Michelle, what do you hear there? What aspects of abuse? What a great example. I'm so glad you guys found that clip. What we hear and what we see in that particular clip is this romanticized view of being protected by someone. That is an excellent show to watch to talk about dating violence because, again, it portrays a lot of things that we like about being in relationships, being seen, being taken care of, being protected. But uh, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the show, I've seen it. There's a lot of elements of what's happening with that perpetrator of violence where he is stalking, um, invading this person's privacy, breaking into her social media accounts without any of her consent or her permission. Again, those are things that you are that are not healthy, um, things that you're not allowed to do in your relationship when it's healthy. So I, it's great to see those things and to call them out. Um, even that actor in particular, I said, hey, this is actually not a guy who's following the law. He's got some issues um, because there's, again, that romanticized view of that being protected and taken care of that a lot of us enjoy. Well, maybe those kinds of examples are more compelling to watch, but do we see examples or, or, or can you give us some signs of what a healthy relationship looks like, what a sort of normal amount of control or autonomy would would look like. Absolutely. So elements of healthy relationships, when your boundaries are respected, is a really big one. When you say something, you stand in it, and the person you're in a relationship with respects that. Um, When you're able to have open and honest communication, where you don't feel like you have to walk on eggshells with someone, when someone respects your consent, especially in sexual spaces, they're not coercing you to do things or manipulating you to do things. Um, And again, when you are allowed to have that independence and freedom in your relationship, something that a lot of us really enjoy is having our independence. And if you notice that you're able to do things, able to live your life, have your friends and your family, and that's not threatened or taken away from you, and you're not being isolated from your support systems. I think we have a lot of, especially for the teenage brain, we know they're not well-developed. They're not sort of connected to the frontal lobe yet in a very direct way. So there is some diminishment of reasoning, or that's not fully developed, let's put it that way. And there's a tendency to believe that dramatic, high drama in relationships is actually a sign of love. Do we get a lot of examples of that? Is that part of the problem? 
that's such a good question. And I think that there's a lot of sensationalism, especially when you're watching reality TV shows or if you're looking at small clips on Instagram or Twitter or Snapchat that really focus on that element of relationships. I think it's helpful for us to continue to talk about what is a healthy relationship because we have so many examples of that um, in our media today, but it's hard to find. Well, the Columbus Ledger Inquirer recently reported on several cases that started as teen dating violence. So we have a look at the trajectory here because they later escalated into domestic violence-related fatalities. The victim in one of the cases, 18-year-old Destiny Virgin, died in September after her ex-boyfriend shot her repeatedly. Now, this was on a public road. Over the last decade, gunshots deaths have been the cause of death in 73% of Georgia's domestic violence death. So what is this relationship between guns and domestic violence among teens? I think that's huge with dating violence and domestic violence. And the Georgia Coalition Against Domestic Violence is definitely doing their best to see what we can do about that relationship between gun violence and um, dating violence. But there's an accessibility to it. It sounds like from what we've been learning about those, including that victim's murder, that there's an accessibility factor to that. Young people are able to get their hands on guns um, for these fatal moments. Um, and they are getting it illegally. Legally, they're able to find these guns and to use them in that capacity. So we're still doing our work to see what can we do to really limit that. Well, the specter of fear and violence together are a mighty combination. So if somebody does recognize that they're experiencing teen dating violence, uh, they might think, I can't break up with this person, then things are really going to go badly for me or for my family or for others. How can, how can we diffuse that kind of a situation? Sure. I, the, the idealistic approach we want to start with is really just talking about what dating violence is so that more teens know what it is and know what to do to look for it. We also want to open those lines of communication. A lot of people experiencing dating violence and domestic violence are shamed and sometimes blamed for experiencing that violence. Sometimes you'll hear, well, what did you do to cause that? Or why did you make him so mad? You know how he is. I like to say, do your best to limit those conversations. It's actually not helpful. It's not helpful to that person trying to survive that dating violence that is happening to them. So as a friend, as a family member, do your best to listen and offer, offer to talk about safety planning strategies with them. And for teens in particular, you want to talk about where they are with their perpetrator of violence, talking about safety planning in schools, in the community, in their place of work, things like that. How about in schools? Are teens taught to protect themselves from these kind of situations in sex ed curriculum in Georgia or other information on healthy and unhealthy relationships? Sure. There's um, a wonderful organization called the Teen um, Georgia Teen Advocates Network that actually hosts our youth and teen advocates that go in the community, specifically in schools, to talk about healthy relationships. This is a growing network um, of folks who are able to provide that healthy relationships curriculum in schools. Um, and you can definitely connect with us to learn more about it. Um, but in terms of safety planning in schools, really talk to that teen about what they're experiencing in terms of violence. If they know, hey, uh, safety planning strategies could be, oh, if you notice that my, sh my shirt is hanging out of my locker and I'm not able to make it to third period, tell the school counselor. You know, just getting creative in terms of those strategies to talk about what that teen is experiencing and how they can provide communication um, so that they can be safe. One question uh, before we close. Legally, can a teen get a restraining order or press charges for domestic violence in Georgia? They can, but they can't do it alone. They need an adult that's over the age of 18 to petition on their behalf. Okay. So, you know, uh, as we're closing here, well, how do you get through to a teen on a topic like this when, as you said, they're becoming more independent and they want to believe they've got everything figured out? 
relationship. I think that when you're able to tell a teen that you really care about them and that you want them to be safe, whatever that looks like, you're opening the door to have that conversation. Michelle White, thank you so much for speaking with us. It's my pleasure. Michelle White, Child and Youth Manager for the Georgia Coalition Against Domestic Violence. And we would love to hear your thoughts on our Facebook group, TPB Radio's On Second Thought. We're on Twitter at OST Talk. You can email us at onsecondthought at gpb.org or leave us a message at 404-500-9457. Coming up, Ocean Vung's new novel is part coming-of-age story. It's part immigrant narrative. And he's part of the Emerging Authors Track at the AJC Decatur Book Festival. Hear a fresh new voice in literature when On Second Thought continues. I'm Virginia Prescott.